0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, We really miss you being here. I really, really hate closing up church, but uh, we felt like it was... uh, really important to be responsible in these times, and we felt like it was really important um, to exercise caution. But we want today, as we look at God's Word together, we want to to really turn to the Scriptures as our place of uh, foundation, truth for our faith. And so today we are continuing in our, our study of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And so we're going to what we're going to do is I'm just going to recap a little bit of uh, the message part one about the end times. Um, and I want to begin here. What, what I've found as I've done research is I've found that the greatest fear that, that humans have, the greatest fear is the fear of powerlessness, of feeling or experiencing being powerless, and so when we go through seasons in life where it feels like we don't have control or we, we don't know how um, to get our power back, in a sense, those are the times when we are the most vulnerable to, to fear. And, and Paul is really referring to this. When he begins to explain about the end times, he, he explains that, that from the time of Jesus particularly from the day of Pentecost uh, that we have been in the last days. We have been in the end times. And what Paul is explaining is that there are these cycles during these last days, there are these cycles of distress, there are cycles of, of um, you know, feeling powerless, there are cycles in which, you know, it feels perilous, Or it feels like, uh, you know, no one feels safe. And so it's really important to to really go deep in your faith during these cycles of distress. And as we face a cycle right now of distress, Paul's words and his teaching could (laughs) could not be more relevant to what we're seeing in our lives. So the first thing I want you to understand is that By faith, not by sight, but by faith, you are never powerless. As a matter of fact, Jesus has ensured that you are never powerless, because He was truly powerless. He He truly submitted Himself to death. He submitted Himself to becoming a curse for you. He experienced the rejection of the Father. He. Experience forsakenness and truly, truly being alone. But he did it so that you would never be forsaken, so that you would never be powerless. Even if you feel powerless, you are not powerless because he has made this promise to never leave you nor forsake you. But if you're not holding on to this truth by faith in seasons of distress, then what Paul is saying is it becomes incredibly easy to be deceived, and that there actually is, Paul says, a strategy that's in place to deceive you. And he he goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to the experience of Moses. And here's Moses, with all the power of God, talking about the plagues that were going to come upon Egypt. And as he's explaining what's going to happen to the Pharaoh. These two magicians that Paul mentions by name, they're not not written of in the Old Testament, but they are part of both Jewish and Christian oral tradition. Their names were Janus and Jambres. And these two magicians opposed Moses to his face. And, And in the first three plagues, they were able to counterfeit what God did in the plagues in order to convince Pharaoh not to listen to Moses and to not let God's people go. And so what, what Paul is saying in this, he's saying whenever there are seasons of distress, there will be counterfeit offers of power like Janus and Jombrace. But the, what Paul is saying is, do you not see that in the end they did not win? They could imitate, they could counterfeit, But they didn't have the power of God that Moses had. They could imitate a few of the plagues, but Moses carried out to the end until the people were let go. What what Paul is trying to say here is that the counterfeit does not win. So there has to be, in your mind, a solid foundation of truth and of not counterfeit power, but of true spiritual power in in order to overcome in these end-time cycles of distress. And so we want to look at part two of this, and we want to read from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, where Paul explains how to overcome, even in times that feel like you're powerless. And he says this, You, Timothy... While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So as we look at these verses together... I want you to remember the counterfeit will fail it it will never ever succeed the lie will not be able to succeed so how then do you and I overcome you see it can't just be faith and faith if you have faith and faith you have faith in something that's worthless your faith has to be in something that is faithful that is trustworthy that is reliable. So what we have, Paul says, and he makes it really, really clear, is that we have the timeless word of God. So your faith is in the truth. Your faith has has content. Your faith is not merely subjective, but it has an object. And that object is the word of God. Both the word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ himself, and the word of God written, the Bible. Every word God breathed. I wanted to remind you, if you got to hear Lisa's sermon, that she used this, and she told me to use this today. And she said, every time you read God's Word, every time you meditate on God's Word, you're taking a breath. You're breathing in what God has breathed out. Uh, What a uh, better—it can't possibly be a better kind of illustration for this day of trying to disinfect everything and not breathe in germs— And you and I have been given the ability every time we go to our Bible to breathe in the very breath of God. And so the other thing that Paul says and that he begins to explain, and he's very, very direct about this, he says, not only do you go to the word of God for teaching and you go to the word of God to correct you and you go to the word of God to see what is the crooked way versus the straight way and 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 to train you up and to guide your mind. But he also says, you need to follow an example. And Paul himself says to Timothy, remember the way I have modeled an overcoming life to you. And he says to him, do what I did. And he explains, he says, don't you remember you've been watching me for 15 or 16 years here? And so he says, remember my example. And then he says in verse 16 there, he says, trust the scriptures to guide you. Uh, this book of God's word is given to help us through the times of persecution. You feel distressed, breathe in. You feel difficulty, breathe in. This is the book of the revelation of the heart of God and the will of God. This is the book that you can put your confidence in it will not fail you, Paul is saying here. So the example of others and the word of God is how we get our foundation, we get a firmness in our life that is unshakable, immovable, that, that the source of our strength does not come from our circumstances, but the source of our strength comes from the word of God. But I also like this this idea here that Paul is saying, it's not just your study of the word of God, although that will be oxygen to your soul. But he says also, all of us need people that can show us the way. So if you're, whatever you're doing today, I I want you to realize that you need to attach yourself to people who are farther ahead than you are. You need to attach yourself to people whose Lives are admirable, whose lives are such that, that you say, they have what I want. I think about how for a long time my pride said, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to learn the scriptures. I'm going to study the theology. And I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do it myself. And when I just did it myself, I got stuck. I got stuck because all I had was my framework And so everything I was either learning already had to fit in the framework of my past. But when I began to say, I can't do this on my own, I have to attach myself to other people who are farther along in this than I am, what happened is I began to grow rapidly. I began to grow up into the authority and the giftings and the different things of the people that I was following. I remember one of my my very favorite uh, uh, mentors was 89 when I met him, and his name was Armin Geswin, and Armin had been a man of prayer for his whole life, and he had anointed Billy Graham for his ministry. And when Billy Graham began his evangelistic ministry in Los Angeles, back in the 40s, Armin, across the street from Billy Graham's tent, had pitched a prayer tent. And where Billy Graham had 10,000 coming to hear him preach, Armin had 2,000 pray. Uh, He used to say, Billy Graham is the most prayed for man in America. Uh, And Armin was the leader and the coordinator of that. And I remember seeing his prayer life and seeing his ministry because he was a man who brought revival. And I said, what he has, I want. And so instead instead of just becoming a pest to him, I figured out some ways to be in his life to bless him and to serve him. And for the last four years of his life, just being in his presence, asking him questions. I remember one of his favorite, uh, his favorite themes was, people think the Apostle Paul is the apostle of the Holy Spirit, but he really believed the Apostle John wrote more about the Holy Spirit than the Apostle Paul. And so I would be driving him somewhere to a conference, and I'd go, oh, Armin, do you, really, do you think the Apostle John is more the Hos- apostle of the Holy Spirit Then the apostle Paul, he'd go, oh, yes. And then he would give me a theological discourse that would be so deep and thorough for the next hour of our drive. And I would get such richness from this man. I was serving him, but as I was serving him, I was attaching to his gifting, to his experience, to his ministry. And he was pouring into me as a younger man. I'm saying to you, you can't do this alone. You've got to attach yourself to people who have gone further than you so that you can grow. You can break out of your own framework and you can expand your understanding and your gifting. Now, you, you may not be able at this season to attach yourself to somebody else. I, I like what Tim Keller says. He says his mentors are all dead people. And so he, he reads extensively people like C.S. Lewis or Jonathan Edwards or different ones. But what I've found is that reading the bi- biographies of great men and women of God has, has transformed my thinking and has given me creativity to change my life. And so if you can't have living mentors, there's nothing wrong with having Dead mentors and, and Tim Keller likes dead mentor, mentors, he says, because they can't fight back. And so, uh, you know, whatever it takes. But Paul is saying here that you need people in your life that are reliable. And so, Paul begins to explain to Timothy how he wants him to, to follow his example. And he, he began with the idea that you followed my teaching. So so there has to be, in everybody's faith, there has to be this content that is biblically inspired, that is Holy Spirit revealed. And so Paul says, Timothy, you, re- you observed my teaching. And then he goes to the next phase and he says, but you also observed the way I conducted my life. In other words, his very conduct was an example for Timothy, and he explains to Timothy he said, you saw that I was confronted with danger. You saw that I went through persecution. You saw how stressed both I was in body, emotionally, and spiritually. And yet he said, but you also saw that as I went through that, I overcame. See, there, there's a sense in the spiritual life that when you observe and, and you actually begin to incorporate A godly person's conduct, then there's an impartation into you that doesn't necessarily have to go through everything they went through. Paul is saying, You saw how I conducted myself. Now, that's a part of who you are, but you saw how I responded to those moments in faith. I didn't act like a powerless man, I didn't act like somebody who had lost control. As a matter of fact, he said, You saw I controlled my temper. I subdued my ambitions, my lusts, my desires. I mastered my passions. I conquered my fears. And even those who persecuted me, Paul says, I prayed for them, I blessed them, and I forgave them. And so, you see, having seen how it works, now Timothy has that impartation of Paul's spirit, of Paul's conduct now in his life. And Paul's saying, you know, Look at what I did. Look at how I lived my life. Now, I'm calling you to live your life as you saw this in me. Paul worked with his hands. You know, he didn't he didn't look to anybody else to support him. He supported himself. He was a servant who prayed for his friends. All through Paul's life, he he kept growing. He kept walking in the spirit. See, some of the Some of the deepest revelations a human has ever had were experienced by Paul early in his Christian life. I mean, he tells the story that he was taken up to the very throne of God, that he experienced this amazing revelation, and and those were foundational for his apostolic ministry. But Paul is explaining that even though he had those amazing initial experiences Throughout his life, he continued to grow. He continued to walk and to deepen in the Holy Spirit. He's saying that though he's the Apostle Paul, he never stopped learning. He never stopped growing. And he's calling Timothy to do the same, to not rest on his past, but to grow into the future that God has for him. But Paul doesn't stop with teaching, and he doesn't stop with conduct. those, Those are very important what Paul really goes after, and I think this is really the central theme here, because all behavior comes from our attitudes. All our conduct comes out of what we believe. We believe, therefore we behave. And so Paul is saying, I want you to model, I want you to see the attitudes that you've seen in me, I want you to follow that model. And so he He makes it really clear. He says, remember my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. See, these were the qualities that the apostle set forth as he went through these end time cycles of distress. That though there was distress in terms of the circumstances, he had faith He had patience. He continued to love. He continued to endure. As a matter of fact, you really can't have a better testimony than Paul's testimony. Here he is, his last recorded words, about to be executed. Not a trace of bitterness. Not an unwillingness to suffer or to die for Jesus. But a great concern for his son in the faith. Not so concerned for himself. Remember, in the earlier part of this passage, it says there are people who are religious, but they have this form of godliness, but they lack the power of it. And the reason Paul says they lack the power is because they're just lovers of self. They're just lovers of their own resources and their own control, which is symbolized in money. And they're just lovers of pleasure. They're just in it until it doesn't feel good anymore. And so Paul says, no, you can't have those attitudes. Those will not sustain you during these crises. He says, you've got to have the attitudes that I have modeled for you. And I I believe the, the longer I live, the more I believe that his first attitude is the most important. It says, Paul says, you saw the aim of my life. You saw the aim that my life was headed towards And and, and basically what Paul is saying here, and and this is so opposite of the counterfeit, he said the aim was I I relate everything in my life. Every single decision, every action is related to what is ultimate to me or what is the most important thing in my life. And, And he tells us this in so many places of how he does everything with this one aim and a great example is 2 Corinthians 5 9. He says, whether at home or away, and what he means by that is whether I'm alive in this body or I'm out of this body, he says, we make it our aim to please God. We make it our aim to please God. I over the years I, I've been really blessed and I, I, I love helping people who have damaged emotions rebuild their their damaged emotional self. I've loved that. It's been one of the great things. But what I've seen with so many people is they want to heal the emotions if it won't hurt, if it'll make them feel better. But the the problem is that usually the healing of a damaged emotion means you have to go back into the hurt feelings, which means it's going to hurt to get healed. And so a lot of people will begin a process of getting healing, but because it starts to hurt, they, they stop. They say, no, this is too much, too much. And what I have found is that you do not pursue healing for your own sake. If you do so, then when it's no longer pleasurable, when it's no longer uh, pleasant, you'll quit. But if you pursue healing, and if I can get a person to pursue healing for a bigger aim than just to feel better, if I can get them to decide that the aim of their life is not just to be happy, but the aim of their life is to glorify God, that they were made for something bigger than themselves, and that if they can start to make the glory of God ultimate instead of just my own safety or my own happiness or my own significance, See, C.S. Lewis is right. He says, if you just shoot for happiness, you'll never get it. But if you shoot for the glory of God, you'll get the glory of God and you'll get happiness. It'll be a byproduct of the glory. It will not be the first or the priority. It'll be, it'll be a part of the whole package. As a matter of fact, the, the Westminster divines, these Puritan Scholars and theologians, they wrote it this way What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. See, what they got, what they understood, is that if you really have this one aim, I will please Him, I will bring glory to Him, then you will actually realize what you were made for. And instead of having some kind of superficial, temporary, pleasure, you will enjoy him forever. And Paul was all about that. And he's saying to Timothy, look, you're going to face the same circumstances I face. Matter of fact, Timothy goes to prison himself for many years in this season of persecution. And he had to have a much higher aim than just to be safe, a much higher aim than to simply survive. His aim had to be, in all things I aim to please the one who has given his life for me. So as you look at this, how do you do that? Well, Paul makes it clear that, that when the aim is going to be singular like this, then it's got to be out of faith. And, and you see, faith, faith is not... Uh, unknowable, or uh, it's not something that you can go through your life and not understand. The Bible's really clear about what real faith is. And it makes certain that faith is a a confidence, or I, I like it the way it's written here, faith is the confidence that there exists certain invisible realities which are extremely important to us, and then those realities become so real to us that we act in the light of those realities. Now, I, <laughs> you know, I, I can't see it with my own eyes. The coronavirus—I've seen pictures. It looks scary. All over the news, it's kind of that crown-looking thing. Looks very scary. and All of that. I'm not talking about things that are visible, but you need magnification to see them. What we're talking about here is the invisible realities of the spiritual realm. We're talking about that which cannot be seen with a microscope, cannot be seen with a telescope. We're seeing, talking about an entire realm. And, and, you know, for secular people, this might seem crazy that I have more faith in what I cannot see than I have faith in what I do see. And yet that's, that is biblical faith. Faith is this it's this conviction. In other words, I'm more convinced of the unseen than I am of the seen, and so my source, my supply, is not based on the news. It's not based on the newest, you know, statistics of the virus or whatever is going on in a, in this end time distress that we're in a cycle of right now. But my faith. Is in the unseen reality. And, 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 and that faith causes Paul, causes me to look at death and laugh. He mocks death. Death, where's your sting? Even as he's about to be executed in a few days, because he says, I have an unseen reality that's more powerful than even death. And so it goes back to this do I really believe that even as these circumstances, these In time cycles of distress, do I believe that even in these, I'm not powerless. God is at work. He's running human affairs. And in this, he he will, if you exercise faith, he'll give you power to both love and to speak. And Paul says that the greatest power and the greatest love speaks with gentleness, even speaks with graciousness, even when we're being mistreated. Or abused. This is this is only possible if you believe that you're not powerless when people are trying to take your power away, or when circumstances are trying to take your power away. And so this faith, Paul says to Timothy, it's in the sacred writings, it's in the revelation of the word of God. And he says, if you will dig into those deeply and if you will hold on to those, it'll make you wise. And uh in it, we find salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, i, I got to say, to you, I'm enjoying this way too much, and I'm taking longer than my wife told me to take online. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because I, I don't want you to miss this. See, if you're impatient, you're not exercising faith, or you're revealing you have little or no faith. If you're not loving... Because you see, the love he, asks, he he mentions here that he wants Timothy to walk in, it's not a love you produce. I mean, who can love this season of end time stress? Nobody can love that. And yet he's saying that as Paul is in prison, he's filled with love. And it's not just any love, it's agape love. So let me just tell you, you don't receive agape love by works, you receive it by faith. There's no other way. There's no way to be patient when there are no answers except by faith. There's no way to love except by faith. And Paul, Paul says, and this, the scriptures are so clear, it says, if something doesn't endure, then it's not real. And so steadfastness is actually an endurance. It's a perseverance. Which again, Paul can Say, you see my perseverance, because he's persevering right to the end. Now, maybe this is more personal for me, but I have watched, as God has, over the last 40 years especially, how he has shown me how impatient I am. He has shown me the limits of my own affections and even the limits of, of the love that where I promise faithfulness, the limits of that. And he has shown me that in my character, I am not steadfast. I mean, I have often risked for God, but then once it got difficult, wanted to run away, quit, stop. And so I'm saying to you that what he has had is a curriculum for me for 40 years. (laughs) Actually, 61 years, but I've known about it for the last 40 years, where he said, you can't minister for me if you're not patient with me. You can't minister for me if you're not filled with my love for the people that I give you. And he's, he has so clearly said to me, you cannot give in and you cannot give up. And you cannot give in to bitterness. And so that's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. So I'll conclude with this, that the bottom line of how to stand in times of pressure is right here. Paul knew the secret of the divine presence. He never saw himself as powerless because he knew the Lord was with him, working in all the events of his life. And everything Paul did, Jesus walked with him, was beside him, strengthening him. You see, his faith was uniting him to the presence of Jesus, not just in a concept, but an experience and encounter with the strength and the help of Jesus. He saw his trials as designed as a course of strengthening him. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and apostles will go on from bad to worse, and they will be deceivers and deceived. So Paul is saying, the only way that you overcome is if the source of your power is not circumstantial and it's not in people here on earth but your source is your union your relationship your intimacy with Jesus Christ Jesus alone walked into death walked through death and blew the backside out of death and he wants you to go through that with him and he wants you to go through it in this particular end time cycle of distress let's pray together as we pray together, uh, the president asked that this would be a day of prayer. So we want to honor that request. And but I want to start. I want us to pray for ourselves, and then we'll pray for our nation and for the world. But would you draw a circle around yourself? Would you envision a circle of protection, a circle of a circle of uh, uh, a boundary, a border, and and here's what I I want you to say in that circle is that nothing can exist inside that circle except the one who loves you and died for you. That only the spirit of Christ may live in that kind of proximity to you, and when you live in union with Him, united with Him, He's your protector. He's your defender. Even germs have to go through him to get to you. And the scripture says that he became a curse for you so that you can live in the blessings of the promises that were made to Abraham, even the Holy Spirit. I want you to to say with me, in my circle, I will not permit anything but that which is of the Spirit of Christ and all the promises of God are inside this circle. They're for me. They're for my family. And if you want, you can begin to extend that circle around your whole household, your apartment, your workplace, whatever it is. Take authority and and believe, God, that Jesus is your healer. That you're not living by circumstances or other people's predictions. That you live by faith. And, And not just your faith, but the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. God has protection for you. God has promises for you. God has these things and they are yes and amen. You stand in them during these times. You are not powerless. You are powerful. powerful. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Paul spoke to Timothy and he said, don't let the circumstances overcome you. You overcome your circumstances. And so we join together, too, as our, uh, our government has asked us to do. Let's, let's join together, too. And, 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 you know, the Lord only needs a percentage of people in a nation. And he says, if you'll pray, if you'll humble yourselves, if you'll repent. So let's do that together. Lord, we humble ourselves before you as a nation, as those who represent this nation. We humble ourselves. We turn and repent from the wicked ways of our nation for the ungodliness and the independence and the lack of dependence on the true and living God, the lack of righteousness, we repent, O Lord. We stand in the gap for those who don't even know you. And we say, heal our land. Don't just heal us physically, heal us spiritually. Heal us emotionally. Heal us with righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation. Heal this unrighteousness with righteousness that your kingdom may come, that your will may be done. We ask that for the whole earth. We want to see the whole earth exhibiting and praising the glory of God together. Lord, we speak to you as those who are willing to say like Paul, I have one aim. I have one end. It is to please you in all things. I have one singular aim to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll be praying for you all this week. We'll make some announcements about what's coming up. But we are praying for you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to us through our website. We, as a staff, we want to pray for you. We want to lift up any concerns that you have. We love you. We miss you. God bless. In Jesus' name.